You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning to the 10 o'clock. Camping is a polarizing word. Uh, Actually, maybe it's more of a polarizing activity. No one feels moderately about, about camping. I personally love camping. I love being outdoors. I love sleeping outside. I love the sounds of of the outdoor night. My wife, Jennifer, not so much. Um, She thinks camping is what Satan makes you do in hell for all of eternity, so she's not much when it comes to to camping. Uh, There's a tent on on the stage behind me. It's kind of a special tent to me. Many years ago, a group of us uh, went to go share the gospel in Africa on Lake Victoria, and we canoed to eight different islands and spent the night on those islands in the middle of Lake Victoria and got to share the gospel. And we, we slept in, in pastures and in, in, in fields of cows and fields of goats. In fact, if you want to, after the gathering, you can come smell this tent. It still smells like goats 20, 20 years later. Um, growing up, my kids, we always had a, a, a dad-daughter or dad-son weekend. I would give them the option of where they wanted to go, what they wanted to do. And one year when my son was 10, uh, he told me he wanted um, the two of us to go alligator hunting together. And so I wasn't real sure what, what that meant, but we went on an alligator hunt down in Louisiana, got in a swamp boat. It was more um, alligator spotting than it was um, hunting, but we fed them also. Some of y'all may be from Louisiana, some of y'all may have done this, this alligator thing before. They love marshmallows, I think it's because they're, they're the, the stark whiteness of them. And so we did, we'd feed the, these alligators and we'd get the marshmallow closer and closer to the swamp boat, and then eventually the alligator would jump out of the water and you know we would all yell or have to change clothes, whatever. And so to, to date, my wife still doesn't know how close a few times my son got way too close to an alligator uh, breaching and coming out of, out of the water on those, on those swamp boats. That exact same year, my daughter, she was 12, she said, Dad, I want the two of us to go camping together. And again, she had choices of, you know, we can go shopping at the Galleria, we can go do, you can do a manicure, pedicure. She's like, no, I wanna go camping. And I wanna go camping in December, and I wanna go camping at Enchanted Rock. And it was one of the proudest dad moments of my life when she had made that decision. So we went in this tent, and we went camping down at Enchanted Rock. It was so cold that we woke up with ice in our hair and ice all on our sleeping bag as well. And she loved it. Like, I was kind of hoping that wouldn't that fun for her because I don't like camping necessarily in ice. That wasn't what I was aiming for. But I talked to my, my, my daughter even yesterday. I got to see her yesterday. And she still remembers uh, all these years later, 14 years later, spending the night camping out in this tent and waking up with ice all over. So I, I love camping. I, I love sleeping outside. Do you know the Bible talks about tents 64 different times. Let's see one of them. With your copy of God's Word, would you turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the chapter we were in last week. We'll be in again today. We'll be in for the three weeks to come. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I hope you have your copy of God's Word with you today. Let's see what the Word of the Lord would say to the people of God today. This is Paul writing to the church of Corinth, but because God's word is living and active, it's just as if God was speaking to us today. Second Corinthians chapter five, let's pick it up in verse one, the very beginning of that chapter. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, 
If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked, or if you're from East Texas, naked, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we might be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Go ahead and keep your Bible open. There's two overarching principles I want us to see first that is true in this passage, but really two overarching principles that is true throughout the entirety of the New Testament. The first thing is this. Death is a reality that cannot be denied. You may not want to talk about it today or think about it this morning or consider it, but death is a reality. The mortality rate of humanity right now is running right at 100%. Verse one says, our earthly home, this tent in which we live, is being destroyed. 117, maybe 120 billion people were born on this planet. Uh, They may have passed since then, but 118 to 120 billion people at one time or even presently uh, live on this planet. Eight billion, you're represented by them in this room right now, eight billion are still alive today. That that means 7% of the entire human population and the history of human populations is alive right now. The other 93% who were born on this earth, they are now deceased. So you're a part of the 7% of all humanity. But the truth is, we're all headed toward that 93%. Some of us sooner than others, 93%. We're going to get there pretty quickly, perhaps. So we're a part right now of of a generation, generations that that are alive on this planet. But but 93% of those who came before us, death was a reality for them. When we go to, to great lengths here, here in the West to try to deny death or deny the reality of, of death, the way that we deal with death here, especially in the West, is so interesting. We put makeup on the deceased and we put them in their nicest clothes as if they're perfectly fine and they look like they're resting, they look like they're asleep. We, we try to make them look like they're actually still here with us. This is our attempt to deny the reality of of death, even in, in, in Christian and church language, we use words that almost make it sound like it's pleasant, like it's no big deal at all. And humans are constantly scrambling, trying to come up with ideas on, on how they can get around death or, or cheat death, trying to preserve people by, by freezing them or, or dipping them or setting them in a corner somewhere, hoping one day that science will, will catch up. But, but science can't do that because it's appointed a time for everyone to die. And I think the reason that we struggle with, with death is that, that God did not intend for there to be death. Death, if you were to go all the way back to Genesis chapter one, is not, if you will, really natural for us. But death entered into the human experience when we rebelled against God. So unless Jesus comes back for us first, um, all of our obituaries will be read. There will come a day, as soon as I am standing here, just as real as I'm standing here right now, someone one day will stand and say, today, John Durham died. And that was weird even writing in my notes this week to to say that. When I was a Baylor student, I would go running in the Oakwood Cemetery. It's right off of LaSalle. I lived on Cottonwood and the Arbors, and so would take some runs back there. Uh, One evening, it wasn't my favorite place, honestly, to run in the evening time, but in the evening, um, I stopped, I can't remember if I was getting something to drink, something in my backpack, retying my shoe, and began to kind of wander just a little bit into, uh, into the cemetery plots. 
And a name caught my attention very quickly. On one of the tombstones, it said, John Vance Durham. That's my first and middle and last name. And that was my granddad. But my granddad died 15 years before I was born. Didn't know him, wasn't a very noble man, was an alcoholic. So we never really went to celebrate or remember him at, at the cemetery. But it was a very poignant point for me as a 19-year-old Baylor student to see a tombstone with my exact name on it. It's kind of one of those wake-up moments that, yes, death is a reality for, for everybody and it cannot be denied. Are you glad you came here this morning? What an uplifting message this has been so far, right? So if that sounds depressing, let me quickly get to number two because here's the hope of the gospel. In death, there is a victory that can be found. So death is a reality that cannot be denied, but in death there's also a victory that can be found. And this finding of victory is reserved for only those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, what, what people fear the most about death, Christians will not experience. People fear darkness when it comes to death. Christians will not experience that. Uh, people fear um, isolation in death, and Christians will not experience that. People fear the unknown in death, and Christians will not experience that. You see, for there is no sting in death for the Christian. Why is there no sting? Because there is no separation. Even our death itself cannot separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For you see, Jesus Christ has died in our place, and so at one point in your life, Christian, you cried out to God for mercy and for grace, and he gave you new life, and he transferred you from death to life, which is what we really saw symbolically this morning in, in baptism. It's what baptism celebrates, that we were once dead in our sin, but we are now alive in Christ. So the ultimate experience of death, that the sting, the evil, the, the, the tentacles of death, the darkness of death, that's all been drawn back for the Christian because of Calvary. So Christ, by his death, destroyed the one who holds the power of death. Let me put it to you simply this way. So while the Christian, we will experience death, we will not experience the power of death. We see this at the very end of, the, of verse four, if your Bible is still open. When we die, brother, when we die, sister, we are not swallowed up by death. Instead, we are swallowed up by life. So three specific understandings then. We have two overarching things in this passage and all throughout the New Testament. Let's look at three very specific things in the passage that we read this morning. The first thing is this. Our life on earth is transitory and flimsy. We see this in verse one. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, and it will be, you know, Paul was a tent maker by trade. And so his imagery of a tent here truly makes sense. He knows that even though tents are, are, are practical and they're valuable, they do fall apart. The, the, the tents eventually break. They eventually need to be replaced. And so he says the same thing here, that the human body is the same way. In other words, even though our bodies are incredibly made, wonderfully made by God, the body that you and I live in right now actually is temporary housing. I mean, this is why our brain cells are, are dying every year. Why it takes longer for us to do something now than when we were a little kid. All of this is because life is transitory and life is, is flimsy. Our lives are like a tent, just temporary, not, not permanent. And in this tent, we see this in verse four, we groan. We're, we're being burdened in, in this tent. Have you ever thought about this before? We'll never be younger than we are right now. This is it as far as your youthfulness. 
I mean, since I've said the last sentence and a half, you're older already. Some of you are even looking older in the last 30 seconds. Like we're just, we're kind of all getting older together. You'll never be younger than you are right, right now, but we'll all be older than we are right now. Everybody still alive? Everybody still, still with me? Then that sentence is true. You are older now than you were 10 seconds ago. We will never be younger than we are right now, but we'll be older than we are right now. For the non-believer, life on earth in this tent is as good as it will ever get. But for the believer in Christ, life on earth in this tent, this is as bad as it will ever be. Secondly, our eternal dwelling as believers is secure and is permanent. This is the juxtaposition that Paul gives us here. Our lives are like tents. They're, they're transitory. They're flimsy. But where we're headed, our, our new body, our new home, our new place, this eternal dwelling as believers is secure and it, it is permanent. Look what it says in verse one. We have a building that comes from God, a house that's not made by hands. And that building is eternal and it's in the heavens. Verse two, Paul calls it our heavenly dwelling. So you can rest secure, Christian, that you will not live forever in this temporary housing in which we find ourselves today in this tent. Paul instead says right here, one day we'll eventually receive an eternal home, or if you will, a permanent home that is made by God. It has to be made by God because all the human resources we would have are all temporary. Here it'll be an eternal and everlasting home as opposed to temporary, as opposed to a corruptible home that is made by God himself, which means it's eternal, and this is good news, Highland. It means it's good. Jesus mentions this as well back, back in John 14 when he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. For in my Father's house, there are many mansions. If this were not so, I would tell you, but I go there even now to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you will be there also. Remember Thomas then said, what is the way to this place that you're going? And Jesus said what we just sang a few moments ago. Jesus said, I am the way. And I am the truth and I am the life and no one comes to the Father, no one comes to this eternal permanent place unless they come through the Son. This is good news for all of us here that we will not live forever in this flimsy transitory tent in which we find ourselves today. So no one in this house today who is in Christ Jesus should fear the folding up of the tent. This rusting, creaky, aching, earthly tent for God has a place for us that is far better than this. Thirdly, God has given us the spirit to guarantee our future. This is what verse five is all about. Chapter five, verse five. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So the Holy Spirit inside of us, Christians, confirms that all of this is true. So when the word of God is preached, as we hear God's word today, the spirit of the Lord is saying inside of you right now, this is right and, and this is true. The Holy Spirit within us is God's promise that we will reach this day when we fold up the tent and we go to an everlasting home. And he has given us the spirit as this guarantee. Every Christian in this room today, you have an indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. He is a guarantee from God that one day we will fold up this tent and one day we'll be dressed in a heavenly glory that only comes from God. So that day when our tent is folded up, and we enter into a permanent, everlasting place that is so determined by God that he does not just give us a promise, I love this, he gives us a person. He gives us the Holy Spirit. 
that, that, that confirms that all of this is true, that this, we, we know this, Christian, deep inside. If you listen to the Spirit of the Lord, you know deep inside, this is not home. And we're not in a permanent place. And our lives are so transitory. Our, our lives, our bodies are so flimsy. What's interesting to me is that all this, these passages, verses one through five that we read just then, they completely tie into the rest of the passage below. Let, let me prove that to you. You can tell that actually because of verse 11, it says, therefore. In verse 16, it says, therefore. If you have the NIV, you're reading NIV, the, the, the nearly infallible version, it says since then in verse 11. In verse 16, it uses the word so. But I think all of our Bibles in verse 17 says therefore, and all of our Bibles in verse 20 say therefore. In other words, this entire passage comes together. And so Paul begins by talking about heaven, about how you and I are just tense. We're not gonna be here for long at all. We're headed to a heavenly home in a permanent place. And because that is true, Look what the rest of God's word says right here. Jump down to verse 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter five. We looked at this verse last week, chapter five, verse 18. I love how this begins. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now we see, as we did last week, that you and I are a part of this entire passage here. You and I are a part of God's plan for reconciling Waco to himself. You and I are part of the plan for God reconciling the world to himself. We're a part of the plan for God reconciling this neighborhood to himself. We're a part of the plan of God reconciling the nations to himself. In fact, five times actively in those three verses we just read, we see pronouns about our role. Let's look at it again. I highlighted it and underlined it on the screen for you. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, Highland. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us, brothers and sisters, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, Highland believers, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through every believer in this room. So we... We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We said this last week, every believer in Christ in this room, you have a ministry and a message. And it's for a lost world. It's for a lost city, a lost country, a lost world. Maybe some images would kind of help paint that picture. You see on the screen the, the, the bridge between humanity and God is, is Jesus, the, the agent of reconciliation, the minister of reconciliation, the administrator of, of reconciliation. You have sinful, rebellious humanity on one side, then you have a holy, just God on the other side. How in the world can those two things be reconciled? Only through the cross of Jesus Christ, through his death, his blood, and his resurrection. And so we see this in this passage, yes, that, that, that Christ came to reconcile all of us in this room to a God who loves us, but a God who is also holy. But in that same frame, we see another bridge that's being built here between humanity and God, but this time it's Jesus' people pointing people to Jesus. 
And this is our role in our city. This is our role in, in, our, in, our, in our culture, in our community, at your workplace, in your school, in your home, in your neighborhood. You and I now have become ambassadors for Christ. He is, if you will, the prime minister, but now you and I are small M ministers of the gospel of Jesus to this city. So, since we're gonna fold up this tent in which we live one day, the most noble way for us to live is for Jesus and for future generations of Christ followers. Since one day we're gonna fold this tent up, all of us will, some of you don't like talking about this at all, I can see it in your face, but do you know that the moment you were born, you started to die? I mean, we're all starting to fold up this, this tent. The most noble way, the most righteous way, the most eternal way we can live is for Jesus, for Christ, for, for the kingdom of his gospel, as well as the future generations, those who come behind us. So last week, the pragmatic outcropping of bridge makers is simply this a brand new campaign called Future Generations. A practical way for you and I to be bridge makers. Last week we saw how this church is gonna construct bridges to the middle school and to the high school generations around us by building a needed and the first ever Highland student building for our student ministry. But today I wanna talk about preschool and kids and shine, that's our special needs ministry. Preschool is growing, new families, new faces every week. It's a joy to teach the youngest among us about the love of God, the life of Jesus. The preschool is a very busy bunch and their rooms are often at capacity, even overflowing on Sunday mornings. Great families, great kids, great teachers, and a great need to expand. Kids ministry is growing as well. It's easy to see hundreds and hundreds of elementary school kids that come on Sunday morning, on Wednesday night for Kids Foundation. Unfortunately, we often have to put kids into overflow rooms because our classes get filled up on Sunday mornings. It happens often. Shine, formerly known as our special needs ministry, cares for and loves some of the most beautiful and handsome treasures that a church can have. These beloved kids might struggle with a few disabilities and cognitive delays and mobility issues, but they don't struggle at all with loving others and learning about God's love. Let me share some facts with you because facts are our friends. From 2021 to 2022, we had about 340 preschool and elementary kids on an average on, on a Sunday morning. But this past year, 2023 to 2024, we've had 425 preschool and elementary school kids on a Sunday morning. That's a 25% increase just in that two-year window. So what's happening right now in 2024 in these areas? First of all, we have 70 children in the preschool, the pre-K class alone. That's one class of 70 kids. Uh, many families in our church are, are growing through adoption and through fostering. We're seeing that growth also. And every Sunday, about three to five new families are visiting Highland with preschoolers and with kids and with Shine. Three to five is a great number. You start thinking that means about 200 to 250, though, over the course of a year. So here's what the Future Generations campaign would do. A portion of that campaign, $1.25 million, would address our growing kids, our growing elementary, and our growing shine ministry. You see on the screen that the second floor, our preschool wing, some things that we could do there to adjust for the growth. The, the, the blue spots that you see up there, the blue squares, are five new classrooms for our preschoolers. Four of those classrooms would go where the fellowship hall is presently, and one would take over the old indoor playground that we have. 
The yellow that you see up there is a new preschool worship room, a new overflow room, a stage with puppets and, and music and story times. And then in the green, moms and dads of preschoolers, hope you're listening well. This will be a brand new indoor playroom with a ceiling raised and with a full, full glass walls all around it. Then the third floor for the kids' ministry. In green, you see two new classrooms, good-sized classrooms we can develop for our kids' ministry. In yellow, you see an enlarged kids' worship room. They've outgrown the previous one. You probably saw that on the video a few moments ago. In blue, you see an expanded check-in area for our kids as well as a welcome area and lobby for our kids' ministry and kids' family. And then kind of that peach color you see up top, that would be our newly developed Shine Hallway with a brand new motor sensory room, a calming space, dedicated bathrooms, and a separate space for our younger Shine and our older Shine kids. So last Sunday, we started the process of raising $6.1 million for a student building, uh, for our preschool kids, Shine spaces being updated, updated spaces for our adult Bible fellowship, more parking that is needed, and homes for the homeless. This past week, if you're a member, you should have received a packet in the mail that gave you all the information about future generations, the how to give, the why we're doing this, what it means, uh, when are we gonna do this. And inside that packet, there should have been a little financial card that says on the front, registering your financial commitment. Uh, this is a really important part of the campaign because it helps us to be able to project financially kind of where we're headed and how we're doing in, in the raising of, of the funds. And so on that side, it says registering your, your commitment. On the back side of this, it's a place for you to fill in your, your name, your address. If you'd like to talk to somebody about this, if you want to give a one-time gift, or you want to give monthly over the course of the next 18 months. And there's a QR code on there as well. If that's easier for you to register your gift in that way, you can go through that type form. We're going to announce on March 17th how much has been given and how much has been committed or pledged toward this so we can all be on the same page together. So March 17th would be a great date by which you send us uh, the registration of your commitment or your gift or beginning to give a monthly gift. If you need a packet, we have packets in the lobby. There is a future generation booth out there. The info desk is out there if you want to pick up one of those packets to learn more about it and if you're interested in giving. But I have some great news. Uh, last Sunday morning, uh, during one of the live streams, there was a couple up in the Dallas area, the Metroplex area, they are not members of Highland, that were really encouraged to give just by watching live stream. Last week we talked about the student building and students came up here on stage and they gave a half a million dollar gift this past, this past week, $500,000. Yeah, we can thank God for that. I mean, that's a special gift, and it was a reminder to me that even though they don't go to Highland, aren't members of Highland, don't even live in Waco or McLennan County, God can gather his resources from any places that he wants to gather his resources. But I will say that most often he gathers his resources from his people, because everything that we have belongs to him in the first place anyway. And so our challenge to you is for you to consider also how you can give sacrificially as this couple gave, they just said a few things. One, we hope this will be a challenge uh, to Highland to get to that 6.1, even more quickly than that, for us to get to 2.6 million. Once we get to 2.6 million cash in hand, we'll break ground and start building that student building. But it's also a, a, a challenge for us to match that generosity. And so I would encourage all of you here today, as you consider giving uh, what you're gonna give, how you're gonna give, in what posture that you'll give, 
We encourage all of you as church members for us to give together. But there's another group I'd like to say something to. It's kind of an interesting transition to go from a half a million dollar gift to college students, but let me talk about college students for, for just a second. College students, first of all, let me tell you that we, we love you and we care for you, and I hope that you have received encouragement every time you come here. Uh, we hope that we have been a blessing to you. You have unbelievably far outmatched that and been a blessing toward us. The Wellness Center that just opened up last year, you may or may not know this, but years ago, five years, let's see, five, six, and seven years ago, college students gave to the Wellness Center to the tune of about a half a million dollars, actually, about $500,000. 550 college students signed up to give, and they gave toward that. Even though most of them have graduated by now, they're off uh, other places, working jobs, maybe married, maybe having kids. So college students, it kind of leaves you now on, on the watch. Like, you're a part of Highland during, during this season. And I want to encourage you to give. To give to something that's going to outlast your time here in, in Waco. We encourage you to give to a future generation, just like perhaps if you grew up in church as a kid or a teenager, there are other people that, that gave toward all the things that you needed to have from a classroom to curriculum to a camp experience to a mission trip. And so on the stage, I, this morning in the first gathering, I had about 500 packets up here just for college students. And during the response time, I encouraged college students to come forward and take one of those packets because here's the challenge for you. It's actually a longer challenge than the non-college people in the room. We're gonna challenge you to give $24 a month for the next 24 months. So for the next two years, would you be willing to set aside $6 a week for future generations? $6 a week for a student building, $6 a week for updated preschool and kids and, and special needs shine wing on the third floor. We went through about 300 packets this morning of college students in the first gathering. It was unbelievably encouraging to see them come forward and to take a packet and to say, I, I wanna be a part of this. I, I can make $24 a month happen for 24 months. It may mean no Chipotle every, every now and then. It may mean no coffee runs every now and then or no late night pizza runs. But would you be willing, college students, during this next song, just to leave your seat and come and take one of these packets and inside of that packet, you can find out how to give, what it's all about, what it means. If you're not a college student, you can find your packets in the lobby when, when this is over. But college students, it really is a call from, from my heart and the heart of this church to challenge you to give because here's the truth. You will never, ever be able to outgive God. And I encourage you to even try to do so. Would you all stand with me, please? We're gonna sing a song of response. We'll have some staff members here at the front. If you wanna come and pray at the staff member, you can come and kneel here at the altar. But college students, I would encourage you in this next song just to leave your seat. If you're interested, come and take a packet and say, yes, I wanna be a part of future generations. Let's sing together.